Ronananian. As vehicles fill up with more digital controls and internet-connected devices, they're becoming more vulnerable to cyber criminals who can hack into those systems just like they can attack computers. But, but all we need is a little plutonium. Oh, I'm sure that in 1985, plutonium was available in every corner drugstore, but in 1955, it's a little hard to come by. The Car Doctor. Right now, it is technically possible to hack a car. It's been done, but it takes um, a lot of doing. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, Great Scott, here's Ronnie. Welcome. Start your engines. Ron and Andy, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions about your automobile. The car doctor's 24-7 hotline, 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Tune in and uh, let's talk about what's going on with your car. This radio show, as always, is handled once again and engineered by the wonderful, absolutely wonderful, big Tony Atwood. Tony's on the other side of the glass, and uh, he's not a phony. He's the real baloney. Actually, he's no baloney. He's not a phony. The illustrious and always present Mr. Thomas Ray. So, and uh, I thank both of them and tip my hat to them for being here to help support this radio show each and every week so we can talk to you about your cars and their problems. More information about this radio show, cardoctorshow.com. And yes, we're out on Facebook. Good. We got the paperwork out of the way. Let's move on. Um, we're not going to talk about the Giants this week because I know it upsets Tony, and I don't want to upset Tony because he's the guy that controls the buttons. And um, if you hear silence, that means Tony turned off my microphone. So we're just going to because it's going to be absolutely see i knew he was going to do that folks um you know tone i do have a question for you though i just want to get this out of the way early come on with it okay who are the giants playing tomorrow uh, cleveland cleveland and they're zero and four yeah both of them are zero and four so someone's going to come out victorious right somebody's got to win yes so if the giants lose tomorrow we're zero and five you're zero and five I predict a zero-zero tie. That would be the ultimate. Well, that would be. It would be like a snooze fest. So, like, if you if you have if you have insomnia, tomorrow's probably the day to watch a football game, right? Now, if the Giants lose and they go zero and five, do they have any chance of? No way. They have no chance of the going. The season anyway. is over. They might as well start booking their their family vacations because they're they're going fishing. Right. So then does the NY and New York Giants stand for next year? Yes. Okay. So that's what's going to happen. So I just I just had to want to get that out of the way. I wanted to get the pain out of the way with Okay, now let's talk about cars now, okay? Okay, now we're going to talk about cars. Um, it doesn't get much better when you start talking about cars. I was actually thinking during during today's open that if Marty and Doc had used plutonium from today, they probably couldn't have made Back to the Future because the car probably wouldn't have worked because everything is just made worse today. There's just no quality control anywhere. And I think about that a lot because quality control when you're dealing with an automobile is just so critical. You know, years ago, we used to think that, and, and you know, it, it kind of makes sense. Do you ever wonder why replacement parts don't last as long as the original parts? Look at the original brakes on your car. You know, you typically get on a car today, I don't know, pick a number. What do you get? You get 60, 70,000 miles out of a set of brakes maybe? And you'll go out and you'll buy original equipment brakes from that vehicle manufacturer, and you get 30,000, 35,000 miles. And the calipers are good, and you know, nothing's frozen, and everything's done right. Why is that? Is it because do we have the ability 
to engineer better quality into the parts today at different levels? I think yes. I think the answer is yes. Had an 06 Toyota Camry this week at the shop, an hybrid, a hybrid, an 06 Camry hybrid that had a, I'll have to use the customer's description, it had a whoop-whoop sound in it. You drive down the road and you'd hear whoop-whoop-whoop-whoop-whoop-whoop-whoop as you're driving down the road above 30 miles an hour. And it would kind of settle out. It, it got to a point where, you know, it just, above 30, it just stayed at one consistent sound, one consistent speed. It wasn't tire-related. It wasn't a wheel bearing. You know, it just, it was just there. There was some noise in the final drive. I listened to the final drive with a stethoscope up in the air, and there was some noise out of the bearings, not similar to the noise I was hearing, but it was there. There was also a noise in the right side passenger, passenger right side, obviously, passenger is the right side, center support axle bearing. And they make noise too, and this was a click, but again, not that whoop, whoop, whoop. It didn't do that. It didn't have that replication there. Why is this a big deal? Because here's an 06 or 07 Camry Hybrid, whichever it was, that had 195,000 miles on it. And the customer looked me straight in the face and she said, I've never had a problem with the car. This is the first time the car's ever done anything that's failed. And I said, you know, you stop to think about it like, wow. All right. How did it get to that point? And the fact is, a lot of the hybrids from a lot of the manufacturers, Toyota's at the top of the class on this, I give them credit for this, is they are clearly making a great product. And I shouldn't say making. I should stop saying that they're making cars. They're engineering cars. They've engineered that hybrid, like a lot of the other hybrids, to go that kind of mileage. Unfortunately for her, from my diagnosis and from what I'm hearing and and listening to this car, I believe the motor generator, which is part of the part of the transmission assembly on a hybrid. I believe the motor generator, it's supported by a bearing on each end, basically. I believe the armature bearing, support bearing, is starting to go south, and that's the noise she's hearing because of the way that it reacts and and doesn't change with, with, with shift point and so forth. And it made me stop to think about engineering and how much goes into the cars and, and how well they can make something go that much farther if they want to. Saw so a post the other day from someone complaining about drive axles on a particular car, and they were complaining about the fact that the axles only failed after 30,000 miles. And I read the post with great interest. I thought it was um, I thought it was a little short-sighted on their part, but I decided to take a look at it and follow through. Someone pointed it out to me. And part of the process or part of the problem with this particular car was, uh, from what I read later on, the person didn't realize that what they were ranting about was an axle that was installed four years ago, 30,000 miles ago. A lot of things go wrong or a lot of things can happen. A lot of environment can occur to a car in 30,000 miles in four years. But it wasn't an original equipment axle for that particular vehicle. It was something aftermarket. Was it a cheaper part? Undoubtedly. And maybe, maybe the vehicle owner chose that the original owner of that vehicle. But this person wanted to go on ranting and raving about, you know, what a poor job the repair shop must have done installing that axle, when the truth really came down to that the repair shop, in all likelihood, was just following what the customer had requested. I need to save some money. Let's use the cheaper grade of axle. And you always have to look at that, and you always have to stop and consider that. Where are the parts coming from, 
How long will they reasonably last? What can you expect to get out of them? Because if you're looking to get 200,000 miles out of that next motor generator for your hybrid or 60,000 miles out of that next set of axles for whatever it is you're driving, even buying an original equipment part probably won't get you there. It'll get you further because it's a quality piece, but it won't get you to where you were when it actually failed. Some cars just tend to eat up parts, and some cars just tend to go through and have various issues with parts. It's just it's it's characteristic of them. That, too, is engineered into the car, and that, too, helps create the car in the way that we see it. So stop and think about that the next time you're buying parts or the next time you're asking a mechanic, hey, we're going to do this repair. What's this going to take? I've said it for years. You're not buying the parts at a repair shop as much as you're buying the shop. I told someone this week, and I've said this for the very longest time also, you know, when I pick my parts, I think I'm a chef. I'm buying lettuce, tomatoes, onions, cucumber. I'm getting the ingredients from various sources to make the best salad I know how to make. If you don't want me to make the best salad, then maybe I'll choose a lesser quality tomato or, or a lesser quality onion, and I'll still try and make it as best I can. When it gets to be too cheap then I'm going to tell you I can't do the job. Just like I told the person about brakes this week that wanted to know, could we do it cheaper? And I explained why it didn't matter, uh, you know, or why it didn't make sense because brakes are brakes and they're so gosh darn important. So parts, yep, they only last to a certain point and they fail when they want to. But sometimes, well, all the time, it has to do with the engineering that goes in them and how much leeway you as the customer give that repair shop to use the good, better, best scenario. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. By the way, check us out on Facebook, Ron and Annie and the car doctor. And if you need me during the week or you want to shoot us an email, we like reading emails up here as well. And we'll make that the alternative if... um, you want to uh, get up here and get your question answered, although we appreciate talking to you in person. Ron at cardoctorshow.com. Let's get over to Chris in Minnesota and uh, 94 GMC and some problems with the heat. Chris, do you need the heat yet? It's not really that cold up there yet, is it? Yeah, it's about 40 in the morning now. Ooh, okay, let's fix the heat. What do you got? Um, yesterday, for the first time, it, the blower motor wouldn't run on it. It's got uh, electronic controls. It's got uh, air conditioning also. Okay. Uh, it, it looks to me like by looking at the electronic readout, that it bounces around and kind of fades in and out, and I'm not getting the blower motor to run. Okay, when you say it bounces in and out and it fades in and out, what you're talking about the control head or or? Yeah, when I'm looking at the electronic readout on the control on the dash. Okay, um, let me ask you this: the blower motor doesn't turn on at all. Yeah, it doesn't at any speed. All right, if you turn the air conditioning on, does the compressor click? I haven't listened to that. Yeah. Okay. If you go to defrost or, you know, floor yeah. or, or face, yeah. do you hear the blend doors changing position? I haven't used it when it hasn't been running, but I'll try all this out. You know, just to see, you know, does the control head make everything work except for the blower? And if it does, then I'm going to start to think, well, maybe I've got something else going on here. Maybe I've got a bad control head for other reasons. But perhaps I've just got something related to the blower circuit. And then I'm going to tell you to go over and find the blower. Uh, there, there's got to be 12 volts, all right, at the blower resistor, which is the B wire, the red wire. you got to have 12 okay. volts there, all right? 
Um, yes. You've got to have 12 volts in, 12 volts out on the purple wire. The purple wire should be the one feeding the blower. And then if you follow that along and look through the connectors, I would not be surprised if the if, if at either end, if the connector at the blower resistor is melted, uh, not an uncommon thing. And if it, if it is melted, obviously all that's got to be repaired. And then, you know, we've, we could also have a problem with the blower motor itself. There's going to be two wires at the blower motor. There usually is a purple and a black grounder. It's going to ground internally through the case, but usually it's a two-wire connector. And do you have power and ground there? Here's a case where if it shows 12 volts at the blower, but it won't light, you know, I'm sorry, it won't run, then I'm going to yeah. tell you to get a headlight. Just go, you know, this is why I love keeping like a 6014 old school round sure. headlight or a square headlamp around the yep. shop. And I've actually got a set of test lead solder to mine with different end connectors on it. Just plug okay. it into the socket for the blower motor. If you change the speed setting on the blower control head you should see the light go dim dim or you know dim uh brighter brightest bright you know what i'm saying it'll 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 change yeah, more, luminosity more draw more right draw, yeah. and at that point you can all right so i've got that that means the circuit's working that means i got a bad blower motor okay that's how i do check that all right and just like i said it's just this this is a pretty basic animal in 94 there's nothing too smart here, so you want to uh, just approach it from a simplistic point of view. Not to say you don't have a bad control head for other reasons, but let's verify the blower first. All right, kiddo? Excellent. All right. All right. Stay warm. All right. You take good care. Um, yeah, always go back to basics. Always, you know, how does it work? How does it have to come apart? And uh, what, do I, what do I have to do uh, in, in, in order to get it to work? Um, recent article, and I want to talk about this uh, real quick because I... I you know, I feel like my world is closing in on me, and I think you're going to understand in a second. Recent article by our friend Paul Eisenstein out on NBCNews.com. GM is going all electric. It's going to ditch the gas and diesel-powered cars. GM plans to go 100% electric, Paul writes. The Detroit automaker has announced this past week. GM currently offers one extended-range electric vehicle, the Bolt EV, but will add two others within 18 months and at least 20 to be in the lineup by 2023. So we've got... What year is this? Uh, we got six, seven years. We probably got 10 years, but all electric. You ever stop to think about how that's going to change the balance of power in the world if GM goes to an all-electric vehicle? There'll be no more demand for Middle East oil. There'll be no more demand to extract oil uh, You know, at the current levels. Where are these people all going to work? Um, does that mean, you know, and it's I envision this as getting harder all of a sudden. You know, there's there's going to be some Teslas, and there'll be some other electric vehicles, and then all of a sudden, the demand for gasoline is going to go down, and there'll be less gas gas stations. And then does that mean that there's going to be less gas stations and less gas stations, and then just everything really quickly in a in a very short period of time switches over to and becomes electric vehicles? Um, just just like wow, you know, just wow. General Motors believes in an all electric future. Uh, GM Vice President Mark Roos said, although the future won't happen overnight, GM is committed to driving increased usage and acceptance of electric vehicles through no compromise solutions that meet our customer needs. And then has anybody talked about the economic impact as far as jobs, you know, outside the original arena in terms of, you know, we don't need the gas station. We don't have as many cars braking. We don't need the mechanics. We don't need as many snap-on guys. I... uh 
I, 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 I sometimes I fear the future. In recent months, a number of manufacturers, Paul continues, we're talking about Paul Eisenstein, he's written an article about uh, GM announcing all-electric vehicles. Uh, a number of manufacturers have announced plans to electrify their product lines. All Volvo models launched from 2018 and beyond will either use hybrid plug-in or pure battery electric drivetrains. I, you know, Volvo to me isn't a player anymore. They sold half a million cars last year, I think at best. Uh, they're not what they once were, and I, I, I question which way they're going. But better heads than mine or cooler heads will prevail. I guess these guys are smarter than me. Last month, Volkswagen... Here's a company that should really be talking about how they're going to make the world cleaner. Volkswagen said it will invest $20 billion to develop electri- electrified products. Every model sold by its various brands, including VW, Audi, Bentley, and Lamborghini, will be offered with at least one battery-based drivetrain option. But GM says it will go a step further. GM's goal is to abandon the internal combustion engine entirely. At some yet unspecified point, all of its products will draw power either from batteries or hydrogen. Fuel cells are sometimes referred to as refillable batteries. They rely on devices called stacks that combine hydrogen and oxygen. Um, how are we going to make all this work? And, and again, the infrastructure support. Again, how are we going to create all these jobs? Government mandates, we're going to skip over this a little bit. Government mandates are clearly driving the industry's push to electrify, even though the Trump administration is expected to roll back the federal corporate average fuel economy California's new ZEV, Zero Emission Vehicles Mandate. That's what ZEV stands for. You like that? I, you have to know your hieroglyphics and uh, abbreviations to be a mechanic. California's new ZEV mandate will require automakers to collectively sell millions of battery or hydrogen vehicles in the years ahead. I don't, I don't see it. It's not a matter of acceptance. It's a matter of what's the economic, what's the economic influence. And that's really what I'm looking at. I could go out and buy an electric car tomorrow. You could go out and buy an electric car tomorrow. We could sell, I don't know, 50 million electric cars tomorrow. How is that going to affect us? You know, in terms of we, we've got a, an economic business model predicated on the internal combustion engine. And I, I don't see things changing that fast. Tom, I want you to get Paul Eisenstein on the phone. Thank you very much. Uh, next week, if we can, next week, next Saturday's show. And I want to talk to Paul about um, this article in All Electric General Motors. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. I'm coming back right after this to answer your question. Stay tuned. Ron and the Car Doctor. Thanks for sticking around this hour at 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Car Doctor 24-7 number. If you want to talk to us and we're not here, leave a message at 855-560-9900. Tom Ray will call you back and put you in lineup for the next live show. We're live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Let's go over and talk to Lisa from Minnesota. Wants to talk about electric cars and uh, some questions and comments. Lisa, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Uh, well, listening to you talk, uh, it can kind of brought up a point in my head, and I'm kind of wondering if you have any idea. But you, you had a caller from uh, southern Minnesota earlier because he said it was 40 down there. Right. I'm in northern Minnesota. We've had 28 two mornings in a row. Oh, boy. So my garden's done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess so. <laughs> so uh, which brought me to my point, you know. Come late December into January, especially February and early March, we get down to teens, 20s, 30s, below zero. 
How am I going to start my electric car at 30 below? Will it start at 30 below? Can I use the electric car when it gets that cold? There are two electric cars in the town next to where I live, and neither one of them are out in the road when it's wintertime. You know, they only run them in the summer. It's a, it's a great question. And, you know, when I saw it come up on my screen, I made a comment to Tom. I said, you know, in all the testing of electric cars, they always talk about, well, we're testing the electric car here in Southern California. Uh, you know where it's you know where it's seventy eighty degrees. Nobody ever talks about testing it in a cold climate extremity like that. And and, and we do have a testing center for cars up here, but for when it gets that cold. But they're not testing electrics up there yet either. And and you know common so sense. Well, common sense, Lisa would would tell us that you know like the car's battery today when it goes to start it in a twenty eight degree or a below zero day up there in Minnesota, it's strange, right? So you've you've yes. you you've got to think the electric car is not only going to be strained to start it, but the cold weather is going to shorten its life. So that, that's what I was thinking because you know I've only had one car. It was a Pontiac Transport, and that van would start safely at thirty-five below zero without having the block heater plugged in. Right. Yeah. And it was one of the few vehicles I had that would start without being plugged in. Yeah. And then I had a Buick LeSabre I had to plug in every single time it got below 20 uh, above. And and then the Because question, it wouldn't start when it got colder. Well, and then the question is going to be, and the problem is going to be, in my mind, as the mechanic, I'm thinking, so Lisa brings me her car and she says, Ron, it didn't start the other morning when it was 20 below. But now we're having a warm spell and it's 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 30 above. And I can't duplicate. Yeah. I can't duplicate the problem. We're not talking about taking the battery out of the car and sticking it in the freezer to test it and see how it handles the cold. We're talking about the whole car. Does that mean I'm going to have to drive my drive that electric car to the hockey rink and leave it in there overnight and let it freeze and then see how it starts the next morning? Like, and that's. I just. I just. I just don't see it. I don't know what the fascination is. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And say that I think we're, nah, I don't, we're not being fed a bill of goods, but I think they're going to an extreme. All right, I just, just a gut call. I think if you know the reports I read, ten, fifteen years ago were that if we converted ten percent of the fleet to an alternate fuel source, the price of gasoline would go down under a buck a gallon. Now we want to take the entire. That would be fleet. nice. Well, now they want to take the entire fleet, and then there was conversation. 10 years ago where they said, but that'll never happen because the economic impact of gasoline under a dollar a gallon would be too detrimental to the to the economy in the country and the world. So now we're going to eliminate gasoline altogether? Um, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and then what happens to everyone who needs gasoline for their vintage car right. or everyone who needs gasoline for their snowblower or their chainsaw or Right. You know, the, the little things that take gas, the lawnmower. Well, and then, you know, here in Jersey, they just raised, they just added 25 cents a gallon to the price of gas as a tax to pay for road repair. So, that was the other thing I was going to bring up. What happens to the road tax? Because that goes by gallons sold. Right. And, the, and they just keep raising it. Well, if everybody's driving electric, you're not going to be having no road tax. Right. So how are they going to collect oh. that? Are they going to take an average and put an average tax on everybody's electric utility bill for what they're using to charge their electric car? Nobody's talking about it. 
uh, yeah, you know, Lisa, it just, listen, I get it. We want to clean the air up. We want to save the planet, but we've got to have some common sense. And, and, and I'm not saying I agree, and that's what's lacking in world today is common sense. Well, in a lot in a lot of ways, kiddo. It really is. Uh you know, it's it's there's always a logical reason and there's always a logical way out of it. And so far all I'm seeing is let's just create something else. And I'm sure I am sure somewhere somebody's got a a, a four inch thick case study, a thousand pages long of why this is a great idea. You better be able to present it to the American people in clear-cut English language that they can understand it and, you know, go along with it. Because if you don't get the public behind it, you're, you're trying to shove an elephant down their throat and they're not going to like it. And, you know, that's, that's going to be a problem. You're just not going to see people get behind it. Um, you know, here in Jersey, so they did away with the inspection program, and this is a burr in my saddle. They did away with the inspection program for safety a couple of years back. Now, for me to do a state inspection, I, I, I bring the car in, I plug into the OBD2 port under the dashboard. If the, if the codes are clear and the monitors are run, the car passes, it gets a sticker. There's some paperwork involved, but it's no big deal. This morning, I'm on my way to the chiropractor to get adjusted so I can start my Saturday routine, and the Dodge Caravan I'm behind has one brake light, left side. It's got the third brake light out. It's got no right side brake light, and the right side directional is flashing, is blinking fast, telling me it's either a bulb or a ground issue, or maybe that's why the brake light doesn't work. And I started thinking in the last month alone, I bet there's been a half a dozen vehicles I've been behind that are missing bulbs. Now, what's the safety factor? How's that going to affect me? I'm riding on the same road as that guy that refuses to maintain and take care of his car, but yet he's been given a pass. He's not taking care of the vehicle. And, you know, I look at electric cars. Are we creating a pass for somebody? Are we creating a way to make it easier for somebody else to collect something on the other end that they're not telling us about yet? And I'm just, I'm very concerned about the electric future. I think it's going to change. Yeah, it's going to change things in a radical, radical way. And, you know, what people don't realize, I just read the other day, the SEMA trade show, Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association, is coming up in Las Vegas in November next month. Uh All right. Do you know how big of a business, do you know how big of a business the SEMA aftermarket represents to the economy? It is a. Oh, I can imagine. It is a. What do you think it is? A couple hundred million? At least. Okay. It's a 1.5 billion with a B business they were talking wow. about it so you're going to carve 1.5 billion out of the economy by taking away the internal combustion engine and just what are we going to do to our electric cars rewind the armatures like we did slot cars as a little kid and make them go faster and that's it and and you know it, it just it's we're not ready for this i don't think we're going to be ready for this in 10 20 30 years uh you know it's yeah. just, it's it's what to, to fix these I, things. I got, I got another point I'd like to bring up that I just learned about today, and I don't know if they're doing it on the East Coast, but from where I live, all the way down south and all the way west, they're putting this cold aggregate process on all the roads. It, it, they can, like, lay this stuff uh, a mile an hour, I was told. And I have now learned from one of my customers, since they did all these little back roads this way, it wears the rubber off of tires. In three months, he has brand new general tires. He said in three months, he could see uh, an average year's worth of wear on those tires, and it's from the roads. And what's the cold aggregate he, supposed to do? Melt the melt the snow and the ice? 
Uh, no, it's just supposed to be a cheap fix. To do literally what? To, to, a to, cheap fix. To do what? To make the roads so they're they're, they're to make the roads smooth so they're not potholed so they don't have to pave them. It's a paving process, okay. but they they lay rock down, then they lay this uh, spray over the rocks, and when that sets, they put a sealant over it, and then they're done. Then all I have to do is paint the lines. Sounds like a giant road map. Only, only this stuff is rough. You know, if you walk on it with bare feet, it's not smooth like regular pavement. Right. Sounds like a, sounds like a road made and out it of chews looks like the rubber right off the tires. Well, that's insane. Well, yeah, that's what I thought. I, I, I can tell you why they, I can said, tell you why they have to do that. A, Lisa, I can tell you why they have to do that. They probably have to do oh, that back. because like and he went through. they're probably having to do that because they can't collect enough road tax uh, because they're not selling enough gasoline and now they're going to collect less. So um, yeah, it's uh, wow, crazy stuff. Lisa, I appreciate your call. I got to go. I'm up against the break, but uh, you keep listening and you keep asking those questions and uh, you push from the you push from the great north. I'll push from the east coast. We get a couple of people from the west and the south, and we'll all meet in the middle and we'll straighten it all out somehow, some way. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. I'm back right after this. Welcome back. I think that was Tom Ray. He was happy the show's almost over. I've listened to your radio show before, but never had to ask a question. I now have an issue that I've received three different answers for. Oh, good. I can I can weigh in. I can be the tiebreaker. I have a 2010 Subaru Forester with 127,000 miles on it. It runs well, and I've taken care of it. The check engine light came on recently. A code P0420. Uh oh. Was told I was told need new catalytic converter, so replaced it with an aftermarket one since it was cheaper. Well. Okay, right. Then a month later, the check engine light came on again, and the oxygen sensors were replaced. I figured I was good. Then last week, the check engine light came on. I want to be the guy that has the check. I want to be the guy that has the bulb contingency. All right? I figured the way the check engine lights keep coming on, somebody's got to be making a lot of money with burnt-out bulbs. Mechanic I had replaced the first time said nothing can be done since everything was replaced already. Took it to another place. The mechanic said the aftermarket replacement was too small, and that's why it was throwing a code and should use an OE one. Third mechanic said replace the cat again said, replace the CAD again, it should be under warranty. So I'm emailing you for an answer. No one seems to know or want to know what might be going on. My first mechanic said even if he replaces it, it would throw the same code again. I'm going to see if he will replace the CAD since the warranty is still good. Maybe it was just a bad one. Any advice? This comes to us from Andrew. Well, did anybody diagnose any of this? And that's my first question. So in other words, we had three shops. See, and this is why I keep saying we can't have electric cars. You got three mechanics that nobody's really talking about diagnosing a problem, a P0420 on a, on a gasoline engine. They just want to, you know, this cat's bad. Use this cat. Just use an OE cat. That'll solve everything. Nobody wants to or nobody has the ability to diagnose any of this. Now you're going to give them an electric vehicle with, with the computing power of the rockets that went to the moon and so forth and all that conversation and expect them to be able to repair it. You know what? Diagnosis on anything, whether it's the car in the bay, the electric car that's about to be in the bay, the toaster oven in the kitchen, the electric shaver that doesn't work, it still takes knowledge and and diagnostic skill and logic. P0420 is pretty easy, all right? You've got a catalytic converter. It's a giant filter. Think of it like that. And you're passing exhaust through it. There's a catalytic reaction. It gets hot. And it changes the harmful pollutants into non-harmful pollutants. It has to operate at a certain efficiency level. It has to be able to reduce the harmful pollutants by a certain percentage or certain volume. 
all right, whatever the number is, 70%, 80%, 90%, whatever. There's an oxygen sensor in front of the cat. There's an oxygen sensor after the cat. Let's just call them sensors, sensor A, sensor B. The computer looks at what sensor A is reading, and it looks at what sensor B is reading. It could be reducing widgets, folks. It doesn't matter. Think of it like this. Keep it simple. As long as it reduces the widget level of what's coming in the cat to what's going out of the cat by the 70% mark or the 80% mark, whatever the spec is, that's a good cat. If it's not, then we've got to just do some other checks. I'd want to know what's the thermostat. Is the engine up to proper temperature? Does it have a correct thermostat in it? Could it have a bad O2 sensor or a bad sensor array? I'm sorry. Could it have a bad sensor array? Could it have a bad sensor B? There's some basic tests for that. And after that, it needs a catalytic converter. It's that simple. What I just described to you is probably all of an hour's test, if that. And then we'll know for sure. None of this, well, try this, try that, stand on your head, spit wooden nickels, rub your belly, you know, blow your nose twice on a dark, cloudy night. Uh, you know, this is ridiculous. And you're going to give these guys an electric vehicle to diagnose. And the first person that gets one that says it doesn't start in 20 below weather, they're going to be lost. America's going to be walking. I think it's time to buy stock and horseshoes. 855-560-9900. Ron and the Car Doctor coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the Car Doctor. Let's get into it real quick. Charles from Virginia, 13 GMC Yukon. Go, Charles. I got two minutes. Hey, Ron, got a 2013 GMC Yukon with a 5.3-liter V8 and the six-speed transmission. And okay. It's a great vehicle, but this thing wants to get up in fifth gear just as quick as it can to get the RPMs down around 1,000 or so right, yeah. you know, when you're going 25, 30, right. 5 miles an hour or so. And if you ever want to step on the gas, there's, there's such a lag right. uh, for it to downshift. And I was just wondering, can the computer be reflashed or reprogrammed so that it it doesn't want to get into the higher gears as quickly i got i got one word for you charles you ready here's dumb a, question here, no no not a dumb question at all babe absolutely a great question um the word is super chips you want to get out to superchips.com and take a look at their programmers all right you want to talk to the guys at super chips uh, they're very knowledgeable. They'll tell you what can and can't be done. To my knowledge, it can be, because that's basically what they're all about. What Superchips programmers do is they will take the, I'll call it the software curve of your vehicle, uh -huh. and they'll, they'll, right. they'll allow you to modify it, or they'll modify it with a fixed program to increase and improve performance. I've done it. I've done it to the plow truck. I've done it to the Suburban. They ask you a couple of questions. How do you drive? You know, what kind of fuel economy do you want to get? What's more important? You know, power, torque, you know, idle quality, uh, you know, etc. They ask you all these questions. It's like a little interview. And then they go in and they'll, they'll program and set the vehicle up right through the controller. And then, you know, you can actually, sometimes you can tune it and adjust it on the go, depending upon what level of programmer you get. So um, just, just good, good stuff. Uh, easiest way is just get out to superchips.com or give them a call at 888-227-2447 uh, and talk to them on the hotline, and they'll, uh, they'll answer the questions for you. But superchips.com will be able to handle it and handle it for you, Charles. And uh, thanks for the call. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. Another great hour, and I really appreciate you all being here. Until the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.